All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Theotech Podcast. I'm here today with Emily Nelson. She's the hospitality coordinator for the Fuller Institute of Theology and Northwest Culture, and uh, also a worship leader at a Seattle Church, which is in South Lake Union. If you don't know, that's where the Amazon headquarters is. Uh, and she also is organizing a workshop on hospitality for churches and for the wider community in Seattle. Yes. So, Emily, thanks for joining us today. Of course. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, I want to get started maybe just by talking talking about what you think hospitality is mm. and why it matters. Right. So, in the Pacific Northwest, um, hospitality is kind of an interesting word. Um, it can mean a lot of different things, and it can mean nothing at the same time. Hmm. Um, hospitality, to me, means three things. Okay. So, you're, you're creating a sacrifice. You're giving something up, whether it's your time, um, your efforts, your resources, your energy, your home, your table, your food. You're giving something up in order to create a space for somebody else. So it's this like three-step movement. Um, in my world, that's what it's been. That's the definition. Hmm. Um, and it's this really beautiful movement of giving something of yourself to create a space for somebody else and then also for yourself too. So a lot of times when you hear the word hospitality, you can associate it with Southern hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes in that culture, there can be um, a sense of comfort that's rooted in the other. So you're, you're just trying to make somebody else comfortable. You're just trying to make someone else feel at home mm-hmm. um, with no dissonance and no conflict whatsoever, which means sometimes you're not bringing yourself to the table. I see. Um, so true hospitality to me is space for the other person and for yourself, which can sometimes lead to confrontation or maybe differences um, but that's where the work of hospitality is so wonderful because you take steps forward amidst your differences. I so see. it can be applied to all different um, categories. You can have hospitality in business meetings. You can have it in the home. You can have it in relationships. Mm. Um, oftentimes you hear about it in the uh, food industry mm-hmm. um, because that's where you're creating something. You're giving food. You're creating a space. And you're inviting people to your table literally. Mm. So that's kind of the rounded definition for me. That's a much bigger definition than I expected. Yeah. <laughs> I've had uh, a lot of time to think about it. How do you think that, uh, what are some of those differences between the hospitality that you would show on a personal level compared to a professional level? Like, I, I guess when I say professional, I mean not only in the workplace, mm-hmm. but maybe even like if you're in the hospitality industry, right? right? Versus if you're just like a family or just an individual, a single person in Seattle. Yeah. Um, what's the, How do you see hospitality being different for those different kinds of spaces? Mm-hmm. Um, the roots are all the same. Mm. I think the reasons and the motives behind hospitality is to create something together. So when you're in the hospitality industry and you are um, someone that owns a business, you're in the business of making people feel welcome. Mm. So that's what you're doing. Um, I've done some research on you know, certain tools that businesses use to make others feel welcome. Um, because they want people to come back yep. and build community. It's good for business. And you can have regulars, and mm-hmm. it's this idea of actually building a true relationship mm. um, via the avenue of whatever it is that you're selling. So your food, your okay. business does well, your community does well, your business does well. Mm. Um, so it's the same route, but um, probably a little bit more of an organized format for how to go about it. Um, I don't own a restaurant. I'm not in the hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I work from the home space, the space of the home. Mm-hmm. And in kind of interviewing people um, like Mark Canlis, 
um, my friend Allison Soki from Allison's Coastal Cafe and kind mm-hmm. of learning about the process of what they do. It's actually very similar hmm. to the family uh, model of hospitality, um, but for a greater purpose and for kind of the broader spectrum of the community. Um, I think I would say in the professional realm and in the family realm, there are differences. I think conflict is probably less um, welcomed or appropriate in the professional realm, but in the family unit and when you're looking at hospitality as this like exchange from person to person and this um, idea of bringing both of your ideas and personalities to the table, the conflict is a little bit more um, expected, I think. That's interesting though because uh, if, if conflict and hospitality are always kind of tied together, then it is really meaningful to show hospitality in a professional setting, both in the sense that like, if I'm a restaurant or if I'm a hotel or something and mm-hmm. my guest's family is experiencing conflict, then for me to create a safe space for them mm-hmm. is one of the biggest gifts I could give them. Seriously, yeah. Um, or if it's in business, I don't know how to do this, but if you know, there's always fights, there's always disagreements, mm. and learning how to facilitate a hospitable meeting, let's say, or just like, you know, yeah. that's so valuable in the business world where people really can express what's important to them mm. um, instead of the kind of what you were saying earlier where I don't really bring myself, I'll just mm-hmm. kind of agree to whatever just to keep the peace. Yeah. Um, that's a really powerful skill. Definitely. Like learning how to agree to disagree, but in a meaningful way instead yeah. of just blowing things off and being like, well, you know, we're going to avoid conflict at all costs. Um, let's, you know, kind of dampen these things that are true for yeah. both sides. And that actually goes very deeply into the um, racial reconciliation conversation mm-hmm. when we're talking about bringing truth to the table mm-hmm. without being ashamed of something that hurt you. Yeah. Um, and holding, holding a light to that truth for one side and also for the other. So it's a really difficult thing. It's very nuanced mm-hmm. and very powerful, um, but it happens in all different aspects of our lives. On, on an everyday basis that I think would be surprising to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. What do you think, um, like, would you characterize Seattle culture as hospitable or not? Because people talk about the Seattle freeze. Right. Uh, right. And there's a lot of people coming into Seattle and they're, like, really confused about what's, you know, the relationships they're forming here or it's not working out the way they thought it was, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they came from. Uh, how would you characterize Seattle hospitality? That's a big question. Um, Seattle's character of hospitality is actually kind of different depending on where you live. Mm. So um, we deal with a lot of gentrification in the city, mm-hmm. as do many cities right now in our cultural moment. Mm-hmm. And the closer towards the center of the city unit you get, the less hospitable it becomes. The further out, um, the more normal hospitality culture becomes as well. So um, we have a lot of communities on the inside of Seattle that are really um, business oriented, mm-hmm. very fast paced living, uh, very individualistic culture. And that's a word that's really key to the Seattle Freeze. So the why behind the Seattle Freeze is um, individualistic living. Okay. So people, people that are um, here for a purpose and usually that purpose is, you know, they're entrepreneurs, they're pioneers. The Northwest has a really deep history of pioneers. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually is our history. We yeah. came here and um, began a lot of new things, did a lot of new things, very creative people, but also competitive in a lot of ways mm. um, and very segmented. So the Seattle Freeze, I'm sure, is for a lot of different reasons, but that can be one of the main reasons is that we have a really deep history 
of um, wanting to do things on our own, which can be really good and also kind of isolating. It's difficult. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur, so I feel yeah. that tension where sometimes social relation, social time can feel like maybe a waste of time mm. um, because you know how much focused effort it takes to push whatever it is that you're working on forward. Um, and so I've, I've kind of been at both extremes where I, I grew up in an Indonesian church and so I had a very strong ethnic culture. Almost all my weekends were spent with this community. We did everything mm. together. And I could feel that tension uh, where it's like, well, if we're ever going to grow or kind of expand beyond that, we can't always just be hospitable within ourselves, mm. uh, if that makes sense. Uh, and then also as an entrepreneur, I felt like, wow, I've just been like coding basically <laughs> or you know, just like working for like the whole week mm. and I never surfaced for air. And so that's where I guess I need to learn to grow up. But uh, <laughs> I'm really grateful for friends of mine. Uh, Will Murray's been on this podcast before. Uh, he just like, you know, has me over for dinner and it's like, ah, this so is refreshing. nice. Yeah, it's refreshing. Like you get out of that bubble that you're stuck in as an individualist, uh, you need sometimes that help too. So I've experienced mm -hmm. it both ways. Um, I guess I'm curious though about like, what is the Seattle freeze? Like, you know, people talk about it, but what, what actually is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, so in my experience and the things that I've been learning from different people coming into the city. Um, I guess I would define the Seattle freeze as this vibe that you get when you're a newcomer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't have to be um, a newcomer to experience it. So um, I had a friend describe it to me as, um, you know, if I'm here in Seattle and I have a breakdown, if my car breaks down yeah. on the side of the road, like who's going to stop and help me? Mm. Nobody. Like she's had that experience. And, really? Um, nobody stopped. And then, you know, you, you drive like six hours towards the Midwest and you have a breakdown and everybody stops. Mm. You know, it's this like embedded um, culture. It's this embedded um, understanding that you help your neighbor. Um, mm. You talk to your neighbor. You make eye contact with your neighbor. You show up for your neighbor. So um, I think it's the lack of that um, humanist vibe. So like understanding that the other person next to you on the bus is um, human and they are not out to get you they're not out to compete with your business they're just you know along for the ride just like you are and making eye contact with them is um, you know it's a part of life it's something that we don't really have here so um, mm. I think it's like a disconnect I would describe it as a disconnect a social disconnect um, that some people experience depending on where you move um, which can be really harmful for people that are excited about moving to Seattle, really looking forward to building community in a positive way and have a really hard time getting plugged in. Um, one of my friends that works at YPOS, Young Professionals of Seattle, he described it as um, not having a, a platform, not having a landing platform in the city for newcomers. Mm. So there's nowhere that people can actually, um, there's no like website, there's no organization, there's no group platform where people can actually come into the city and have a landing place hmm. and say, oh, if I need a job, if I need a nanny. Um, there's lots of individual websites that you can look at, but it's really overwhelming when you move here. Mm -hmm. And um, there's no like solidified landing platform that says, hey, we're going to be a resource to you. And um, here's what we have to offer. Like a city welcoming committee. Yes. Something like that. I'm familiar with like um, New Tech Seattle, which is a community oriented to techies, but that's exactly what they do. Every time oh, they wow. gather, um, they always ask people who's new, and they ask mm -hmm. people who's looking for a job, and like people raise their hands and stuff. It's like, okay, you guys get connected, you guys get connected. Wow. Um, and so they try to be that for people who are moving to Seattle for the tech community. It's called New Tech Seattle, friends of one of the organizers. 
And I, you know, I think that um, it might be that it's just over. This thing is overwhelming. Because yeah. there's so many, there are many things, and there is no kind of like this is Seattle's welcoming mm-hmm. committee. <laughs> and so um, it's just maybe yeah, it's easy to feel like you're just lost and mm-hmm. you can't find places like that uh, to help you. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I guess I, I was interested more in that tension between being an individualist and hospitality. Mm-hmm. Like, do they have to live in tension? Is it something that's always going to be like this? Mm. Um, you know, I think like I grew up in Seattle. I'm a Seattle native, so if anything, I probably practice the Seattle phrase unknowingly. Mm. Uh, I've heard it said it's like one of those things where people say, "Hey, let's go coffee sometime," right. but they never that actually phrase, follow up. That'll get you. Yeah, you never actually follow up, mm-hmm. um, and then neither side follows up, so then it just kind of becomes nothing. Yeah, and. What was it? I think my sister Natasha, she was quoting me screw tape letters recently. Uh, C.S. Lewis said something about how men and women, their view of unselfishness is different, mm. and how mm. for for women they might view it as um, the way I, they can be unselfish is to trouble themselves for the sake of others, mm. and then for men, uh, their view of unselfishness is I don't cause trouble to others. Wow. Now she brought that up and I was like thinking about it and I wonder like I, as a man I can re- relate to that and I wonder if it also connects with Seattle or just like mm-hmm. as long as we're not kind of bothering anybody right. that's like a favor that's good mm-hmm. like you know we're uh, this is like how we are kind to one another is by not causing mm-hmm. each other problems um, it's very tolerant it is tolerant mm-hmm. yes it also makes it less hospitable though because it's the whole idea that you said that I don't bring myself to you either because right. if I did mm-hmm. I might cause you some problems you might not like who I am and I would rather not trouble you with that. I'll just do. I'll just be me. You be you. Mm. And that's you know that's how Seattle keeps the peace. Wow. Um, I can see that being kind of an aspect of our culture. That's really interesting. I've never heard it um, phrased that way, and that makes a lot of sense in this culture and in this time period. And um, yeah, wow, that's really that hits home because um, our habits as individuals and as men and women speak directly to where we're at um, mm. as a culture. So, I mean, that's that's huge, too. Um, wait, what was your... I didn't have a I question. I edit this out, but... We can cut. We can pause. <laughs> that's just a conversation thing. I wanted to go into technology and hospitality, actually. Oh, wait, no, you, no, you did ask a really good question that oh. I was excited to answer. Let's it was see. about... You said, um, oh, do they always have to be intention? Oh, I can ask that again if you'd like, or... Okay. So I wanted to go back to that question about individual individualism and hospitality, and like, do they always have to be intention? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you always have to pick one or the other? Yeah. Um, so it seems really overwhelming to become a person that's going to change the culture of hospitality. Like yeah. That that in itself is just like never going to happen. Um, it's not going to be something that happens overnight, and it's not going to be something that you can just um, become in one action but what i would say is that the tension is good like it it's good because it represents balance Mm. so when you're when you're working um in your office alone you are being productive yeah you're getting things done on behalf of others a lot of the time yeah um and when you're working in your home and when you're uh, creating space for maybe even it is your your best friend or your spouse Mm. your mom or your dad that's another way of moving forward in hospitality. Mm. So um, if you can boil it down in the simplest of forms and say to yourself, what is it that I do in my own practices and in my own daily habits that welcome others? Whether oh, okay. it's my eye contact, whether it's the fact that I um, cook with people sometimes, whether it's mm. um, I know how to have my neighbors over for dinner. I think 
the one thing, the one practical tool that Seattleites can use the most, yeah. can tap into the most, that would be the most successful, the easiest thing, the most practical okay. thing, is learning how to have people over for dinner. Okay. Just once a month, just invite someone into your home. Not necessarily out for a cup of coffee or um, if you see a stranger, someone here that's new, um, instead of saying, yeah, the best coffee shop you can go to is right down the street. And mm. I will, I'd love to give you the name of that coffee shop and send you on your way. Mm -hmm. um, I think the challenge that can actually move things forward and change the culture is just the simple um, phrase of, hey, yeah, I'd like to go with you. I can take you there. Okay. Or inviting your friends over for dinner, you know, inviting mm -hmm. your acquaintances over for dinner. And ultimately, having people in your home that think differently than you. Mm. Conservatives yes. have liberals over for dinner. Mm -hmm. Liberals have conservatives over for dinner. People that don't speak like you, invite mm. them into your home. Learn how to be vulnerable and make that connection and see what happens. That's powerful. It, it also is. breaks the social convention that people say in the past, like never talk about religion, politics. And oh, it totally and, does. And, and, but it's right. time, you know? You know, that convention, I don't even know where it came from. We're in a really <laughs> um, polarized moment right now. Yeah. And I think everybody can feel the damage mm -hmm. that's happening because of that. And um, one of my mottos is, are you tired enough to try? Mm. Are you exhausted enough of this um, separation? Are you tired enough to actually reach out and try? Because this is one of our last assets is mealtime. It's one of our last cultural assets mm. in this country is mealtime. And you actually have to be... Um, there has to be a level of exhaustion for you to be able, willing and able to do that for another person. Mm. That's... Yeah, that's a good question. It is. It <laughs> a is. Good it's motto. a big question. Yeah. Do you think that... Um, I, I want to take it two ways. One of them is... Maybe more about technology. Um, this, this is the Theology of Technology podcast. Mm. Has technology helped us or hindered us in this pursuit of hospitality? Or mm. what have you seen ways that it's being used both ways, maybe? Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit earlier um, about Airbnb okay. and how that has brought about a lot of um, hospitality, staying in homes, being more comfortable staying in someone's home. Mm -hmm. um, there's a really great app called Horizon that's out that has helped people connect all around the world in like home sharing processes. Mm. There's couch surfing, um, which is a network online where you can just literally go anywhere in the world and find someone that's accredited and safe to stay with mm. and have an experience um, in another country, in another culture yeah. that's different than your own. Um, Facebook is really big. Facebook's a huge conversation. Mm. Um, I think it has, I think the internet in general has um, damaged our ability to see clearly the very practical things that we can do. I think it's mm. it's kind of um, put a veil over the practicality of hospitality, mm. and it's made it really difficult to actually reach out because there's this there's this expectation, there's this um, like secret life that everyone has okay. online that's just like so polished, so perfect. Okay, it's just the highlight reel. Yeah, and it makes it really hard to be like, hey, like. Um, I can show up at this event. Yeah. I can partake in this social group, in this social setting, um, without expectation of who I'm supposed to be. Mm. So Facebook has, I think Facebook's done a lot of um, good in that area too. So like Facebook events are yeah. huge for connecting people. Mm. Um, there was a really good podcast done by Invisibilia 
um, recently that kind of talked about this guy that just went to Facebook events one after the other <laughs> and his experience and what he learned and it was just really entertaining and amazing what you can learn when you just show up. Yep. So it's like the ability to show up has been enhanced by technology. Mm -hmm. um, Meetup.com is really great for people that are just looking for like-mindedness mm -hmm. and actually committing to showing up. So it's like if you can get past the barrier of being afraid to show up and engage, I think it's great. I think technology has done really beautiful, wonderful things for making it um, more th people more interconnected. Yeah. Just to show up that way. Yes. This like. Does this burden fall disproportionately on introverts then? Our homebodies are, you know, where uh, we want to be hospital, we want to be in a relationship, but it's like an extra burden mm. to like go out uh, and do stuff? Personally, I'm an introvert, like okay. 100%. Okay. I'm an introvert who's learned to be an extrovert because um, unfortunately extroversion is um, valued over introversion in mm -hmm. our culture. Mm. So if you're an introvert, it's really difficult to... Um, climb the ladder per se if you don't have mm. those like insanely developed polished social skills yeah and I think that's also something that needs to be addressed because um, we're missing out mm. on 50% of the personality traits um, of the human beings around us mm -hmm. when we um, uphold one personality trait over the other so there are a lot of people that are both and things like that but um, there's a really beautiful um, underrepresented part of um, being an introvert that is right in the middle of this conversation so mm. when you know how to listen to somebody like the skill of active listening it's probably the, the best thing that you can do um, in terms of building community and actually trying to seek to understand somebody before you seek to be understood yourself mm. um, and I think introverts in general I mean this is a huge generalization yeah but um, those listening skills seem to be a little bit more um, present. Mm -hmm. And so when we're always constantly trying um, to build a culture of show, to I build see. a culture of um, being heard all the time, like where's the room, where's the space, where's the actual space for silence, where's the actual space for listening. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's definitely a balance and a tension that needs to be had between the two. Like extroverts can learn how to be quiet. Introverts can learn how to speak up. Um, but I think that both are very highly valued. And these are, these are the skills, I guess, that you need at the dinner table to make sure one person doesn't dominate and right. also be quiet, get to share and like... Man, the art of conversation, yeah. it's huge. Mm. I think, um, so I'm also a nanny and so I, I um, hang out with kids all the time mm. and I'm noticing that the art of conversation is getting a little bit lost. Mm. There's a lot of, um wanting to be heard and not a lot of knowing how to listen or what to do with the thoughts that you hear. Um, I think my generation struggles with that too. I think millennials struggle with the art of conversation a lot. Um, however, when I, when I experience um, a meal or a social time with um, friends that come from different cultures than me, the art of conversation is just embedded in, in who they are and what they do. Hmm. And it's not awkward and it's shared time and people are um, ready and willing to listen. And like being interrupted is like okay from time to time and it's just this beautiful um, thing that happens between a group of people. And I think that's something that we need to revisit. So you were saying that that was with other cultures, you said people from other cultures that yeah. are coming together? Um, I have two wonderful Hispanic roommates. Mm. And um, our conversations are really easygoing and very um, 
authentic it feels mm. um i think i think a lot of minority cultures in this country um, do that very well also uh my my fiance's family um is african-american and the art of conversation is alive and well in a different way than i've experienced mm -hmm. and i think kind of reimagining that in your own culture is really important too yeah okay i found that as an indonesian american um the thing I just associate hospitality with the Indonesian food. Mm. Basically, it's like the biggest. It's the biggest differentiator between going to, I guess, a conventional mega church mm -hmm. or you know, uh, and going to an Indonesian church. It's like you just know after the service there's going to be this enormous feast afterwards. Right. And it's usually you know it could be potluck style. It may not all be funded by the church itself, but that is so central and it's it really is what i think is the locus of the community mm. uh, besides the language uh, wow. it's really the food and um i think the one downside of it was the insularity i mentioned earlier where it is kind of like this is you know this is our space this is our time mm. and there's really no interest in anything outside of that for that but the pos positive side is that it really does bring people together just that act of having an abundance of food mm -hmm. instead of having you know, coffee and maybe crackers or something right. after a service has made a huge difference. Um, but I think what I'd like to ask now is about how have you seen churches in Seattle in particular, uh, you know, think about hospitality and mm -hmm. how could they do differently? Uh, how could they be that platform maybe mm -hmm. where people who are coming here have a landing spot? Mm -hmm. okay, pause. We'll hold that question. <clears throat> That's a great question. Do you feel like we're covering yeah, good stuff? Yeah, we're covering good stuff. Should we do a sound check? We good? Tosh, can you? Yeah, Hello? I can see it. Yep, you're check good. Check it, check. Levels are good. All right, rolling. We're rolling. All right. So I wanted to go back to that question about what are churches, uh, how are churches doing with hospitality? Mm. And maybe how could they become that platform for people who are coming here to have that place uh, to get connected? Mm -hmm. So my work is geared towards that hope. Mm -hmm. So the goal of um, working in ministry and the, my goal of working in hospitality is to um, equip the church to be that platform. So what better opportunity is it um, than what we have now for the church to create that landing platform for people, um, at least to give them a chance to feel welcomed? Mm -hmm. um, I think in Seattle we are very progressive, very um, accepting, and very... Um, tolerant to people that are different around us. Um, but I think taking that one step further and reaching out instead of just um, choosing, you know, not to offend, mm. there's a huge difference in that. So the practice of reaching out mm. and the practice of saying, you are welcome here, you belong here. So much so that um, people um, might be taken aback by um, how welcome they feel as a, as a human, as an individual. Um, despite maybe social differences, despite personal beliefs, uh, you know, a lot of theologies and a lot of practices around the world are centered around showing somebody that they're loved, mm. showing someone that they actually do belong, that they are um, a part of this family, a part of Christ's family, mm -hmm. and um, teaching the gospel along the way. 
but that is a really central part of um, inviting somebody into the fold of God. Like mm-hmm. that is a central moment in somebody's um, knowledge about what it means to be loved and knowledge about what it means to love others. Mm. So kind of it's a it's super common and really um, simple, but learning how to love people well, um, regardless if they're going to be a church member or not. So yeah. we need to focus on that. And there are really practical ways of doing that. Um, we get really blindsided. I know in Seattle, there's like that individualistic culture bleeds right into our own church culture. Mm. So, I mean, it happens wherever you go in the world. Whatever the dominant culture is yeah. will seep into your church doors. We are we are humans. Yeah. We live in this world um, and we are not, we're not... Um, the church the is not immune to that. We're not immune to that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think acknowledging that and also having tools to kind of combat it is really important. So, I mean, we have that in our churches. We have churches that are right next door to one another that are competing for communities. Yeah, and usually among people who are already quote-unquote converted. Exactly. So (laughs) basically, like right now, 2018, the church is just trading members. That's what's happening. People are not um, joining the church as new members, and it's um, totally not who we are. This is not our identity. Um, mm. This is us stuck in a moment. Um, and we there are things to be done about it that are not overwhelming if we're willing to take that step yeah, as individuals. Let's talk about that a little bit because I can see that churches might say, well, we've done evangelism, you know, yeah. like we've done outreach. We have we invite people to our Christmas Easter services. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, and we welcome everybody. We don't want to turn anybody away. I think that there might be some help needed to kind of see past that to say like, yeah. like you think that's hospitality, but no, hospitality is, is so yes. much more. Right. Yes, it's such a longer, uh, more grueling process. Mm. I can tell you that you cannot plan an event. Mm-hmm. You cannot invite someone to an event mm. or um, create something within your own church within like a month's time that's going to make a lasting difference unless you're willing to commit to inviting your neighbors over for dinner over uh, and over and over and over again throughout the years. It's like this... It's not exciting. It's this really long, arduous process of committing mm. to your neighbor. And it's not its not glamorous, and it's not um, something that's going to get a lot of attention, or um, you're not going to get a lot of credit for that kind of hospitality, especially if you're a church that's looking to be seen and to be put on a, a pedestal as a welcoming church. Like, mm-hmm. it's a commitment that you make... Um, as an individual and you commit, you um, encourage your congregants to do the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that expectation is really important to kind of lay the ground rules and be like, hey, this is a super long process. Mm -hmm. Are you willing um, to step into that? And if not, like understand that it's gonna be really hard to to move forward as a community. Um, Your children aren't gonna have as hospitable of an environment to grow up in if we're not ready to commit to that super long process and it has to be in some ways modeled by the leaders yeah just like everything else i remember um i was i served as an elder once and i remember feeling really disqualified mainly because there's a text in titus that says that elders should be hospitable Mm. and i felt like i'm just a young single guy and like i don't have people over my house for Mm. dinner or anything like that and it's like am i qualified to be a leader Mm. of the church if i don't do that um and and I just, I, I, that's, we never talk about that really when we talk about elder qualifications or church leader qualifications, yeah. but I just, I just realized actually a lot of church leaders that I know, they've never had me over for dinner or anything like mm. that. 
Um, and it's just like, oh, that's interesting. Just an observation. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to put more burdens on pastors right, or anything like right. that. But it's just interesting uh, that just something so simple, like yeah. what you're describing, is actually so, can be very rare, actually. Super rare. Because it's not like immediate gratification. Yeah. And also to be clear, this is not the same thing as just having small groups in a home that meet for Bible study. Right. I think it's totally different. Um, Also what you're talking about in terms of pastors having that burden. Mm -hmm. um, Like our churches are tending to get a lot lot bigger Mm -hmm. and a lot more um, filled to the brim. And so how could a pastor possibly know you or invite you into their home? Not if it's a big church like that. There's so many sheep to shepherd. Mm -hmm. And... um, Community groups, small group leaders, This is these are the people that are, are going to have to lead this. Yeah. If you're a small group leader, um, you're teaching your small group how to practice hospitality mm-hmm. as you model it yourself. Mm-hmm. So yes, small groups is a part of it because you experience hospitality in your small group. Mm-hmm. But then um, it's a call forward to invite people that are not a part of your group, Yeah. not a part of your church. Not over for Bible study, but over for dinner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so people who are different than us um, can be safe in this space and kind of bring who they are to that space that's the harder part everybody talks about how do we make these groups more you know community oriented outreach oriented and i think most of the time it's thinking about let's kind of do a community service activity together which could work Mm -hmm. or let's just kind of share the gospel on the street like street Mm -hmm. evangelism but uh, the idea of no let's just invite people who don't agree with us or believe in what we believe to Mm. over for dinner and just have a good conversation together. It's like a really weird yeah. concept right now. Yes, it is. And um, Make America Dinner Again is yeah. another project that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And it actually, it's a secular-based event. And so everybody's welcome to come. And we curate a group of 8 to 10 people that are actually like opposites. Mm. So they think differently. They live differently. They're in different seasons of life. And we um, facilitate a conversation, a safe space. So that safe space, that hospitality, yeah, is it works because it's Christ-like, mm. and that would be um, the main ingredient when you're having people over for dinner that you disagree with. So um, you intentionally give them space, and you give yourself space, and and the practice of doing that—that's what's Christ-like. That's what um, that's what pushes you out of the way and allows the Holy Spirit to move and um, change and grow and heal. It's a mm. very healing process. So Make America Dinner Again is just the most wonderful way to show Christ's love to people no matter where they're at. With no agenda, mm. too. Yeah. Simply the, simply the purpose of, of coming together as humans. Mm. And you're helping to organize these dinners in Seattle, is that right? Yes. Yes. So Make America Dinner Again is a national organization. Um, they host dinners all around the country and they started after the Trump election, after they started noticing that they were totally disconnected from mm. their conservative counterparts. So um, it's uh, it's two women and a couple of men that have kind of decided to create this, this group and this um, liaison effort of mm-hmm. creating these dinners all around the country mm. and inviting different voices to come, not just the liberal voice, not just the conservative voice. And Make America Dinner Again is... Um, it's kind of a safe political space, yeah. but it can be for all different kinds of conversations. Mm. Very good. Let's talk about um, let's talk about S- Seattle a little bit more. Um, I know that uh, there's about the uh, Seattle Times did a study that showed that there's about 143,000 tech workers wow. in the Seattle area, and that about was it 50, 57,000 of them were born in another country. Oh wow! And uh, of those, I think like forty percent of that was from India. 13% from China, 
but it's just this massive influx also of immigration. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a whole other can of worms, so we don't have to cover it. But um, I'm thinking more about the opportunity that Amazon and all the tech companies are bringing to Seattle for churches, really. Mm -hmm. um, I go to a church, uh, Union Church, which is in South Lake Union. You go to a Seattle Church, you're a worship leader there, which is also in the heart of you know, Amazon's headquarters. And what is it that you see we can do, both mm -hmm. to show hospitality to all these people who are moving here, uh, interculturally as well as um, you know, yeah. focusing on tech, but also like I just see there's an enormous opportunity, and I just feel like a lot of times, we're churches are, we're not really sure what to do. Like we already have that Christian community, and it's about you know it's serving the Christian community, and we do like maybe volunteering efforts and stuff that sometimes uh, even non Christians want to join along. But mm. there feels like there must be something greater that could be done. It might be as simple as dinner, mm -hmm. but I, I don't know. I'm just calling out the opportunity there. Definitely getting your thoughts. Yeah, that's a really big question, and it's something that's been on my heart a lot. I know um, some specifics on what it's like to live in that Amazon culture and um, what it actually looks like to live in, like, a micro-apartment. Mm. Like, really tiny little living space and very long hours at work. Um, very long, fast-paced hours at work. Yeah. So even, like, lunch breaks are super short. And, yes, you have free food, and it's, like, really great and everything, but do you have time? to be human in the middle of your lunch break um, and pause and reflect. And you brought that up earlier and you were talking about how in, in Indonesian culture, like there's so much time, there's so much time and space for a meal. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes it can be overwhelming yeah. that you just, you just wasted like three <laughs> four, hours, four hours, four, on hours <laughs> four hours just sitting there like uh, eating with a bunch of people. Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have so many things to do. Um, I have so many things on my agenda so that I can become who I am mm. and live into my, identi my identity and um, provide purpose and value for my life and other people's lives. Mm. So it's not like a lesser um, cause or anything like that. But like the aspect of time, I just really think that there's something to that when it comes to um, the bridge between Amazon culture and allowing people mm. to feel welcome. I really think there has to be something central about about the time that we share with others the time that we create for others um i i honestly don't know if there is an immediate um, solution but i i do know that um inviting people into your own time and making time for people that don't have time like they work mm. like 11 to 12 hour days like reaching out might even just be like learning how to create time for somebody else and check in on their day, check in with them, see how um, they're doing, bring them a meal even. Like mm -hmm. that kind of outreach um, does have to be time sensitive because they're like overwhelmed. You know, mm. they're busy. They are the epitome of busy. Um, I don't have any like practical tips for engaging Amazon culture, but I know that yeah. making space and time for those people um, is a great way to welcome them because that's something that's unfamiliar to them. Like extra time is like, whoa, like yeah. you gave up your time to come and like hang out with me or, you know, whatever it might be. You know, it sounds also uniquely, I guess, biblical. Mm. Um, just think about the Sabbath, sacred time, mm -hmm. God's time, God's yeah. day set apart, not for busyness, not for mm. work, but to rest mm. um, and to be refreshed. And it's... I don't know. It's just, it was in the Bible all along. Sometimes, I guess, with church, it can feel a little bit more frenetic when mm -hmm. you have to do a lot of things yeah. on Sunday. Or, um, 
it can feel like you just come in, come out. Yeah. And so there's not that sense of sacred time or, mm-hmm. yeah, time and space. But we may not have answers. I just think that you're onto something there with the time thing. Yeah. I, I think that's the biggest thing for Amazonians, for sure. Yes. Seattleites, let's get creative. We are pioneers. We are engineers. Like, let's <laughs> let's find some really beautiful, creative ways to organically make time for other people. Mm-hmm. I think that we can totally do that. Without having to resort to the Marvel Comic Universe and the Time Stone. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... Um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the upcoming workshop that you're organizing? Yeah, for sure. Growing Home, right? So, yes, Growing Home. Um, it's potentially a movement in Seattle that is going to um, give people practical tools and resources for hospitality culture in the Northwest specifically. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's really important to understand your own personality as a region, your own mm. um, like issues and your own... Um, the word when like you're prone to something your own tendencies Tendencies? yes your own tendencies Mm -hmm. so that you can effectively approach the situation so growing home is going to be we're working on a website right now with um, blogs and resources and tools for people on like how to have a dinner party Mm -hmm. how to engage with your neighbor without being creepy like how (laughs) yeah how to be um, how to lean into authentic conversation Mm -hmm how to understand your own motives for hospitality and things like that. Um, so we're going to have a great landing platform for people um, in the church specifically, but for anybody that wants to learn more about hospitality culture. Mm-hmm. So this event is launching that movement. So we are I hosting see. a workshop um, centered around Christ's hospitality. Mm. So we're going to be leaning in as the church community. There's going to be food. There's going to be amazing catered food. We're going to have um, lots of different kinds of soups, vegan gluten-free options, <laughs> um, bread, salad, and wine. Um, it's going to be a very beautiful moment to partake in hospitality culture as you have a meal with people around you mm-hmm. in the moment. Um And it's also going to be a time to learn and engage in other kinds of hospitality. So we're going to have um, people that own their own restaurants and create this culture sharing with us what it means. We're going to have church leaders sharing what it means um, to be hospitable and just ask a lot of questions um, as to what our blind spots might be and what we can do tomorrow, what we can do today Mm. to engage in hospitality culture. Are you guys going to have other food, like ethnic foods at this event? Is it going to be intercultural as well as... um... Definitely. That's the hope. Okay. So um, we are trying to get as many diverse like soups on the menu Mm -hmm. to make sure that there's a a wide variety of flavor. And we're also doing a $15 discount when you bring your own bread. And that can be whatever kind of bread that you'd like to bring. So you can bring sweet bread. Okay. um, You can bring sourdough bread. You can bring rye bread. um, Anything that represents your favorite kind of comfort. Comfort food? Yeah. Mm, Tosh, we should make beef stew. Or we can make ramen or something like that. Oh, yeah, that would be good. That'd be amazing. Food. But that wouldn't be bread. That would be soup. But can you get like $30 off if you bring soup? <laughs> I mean, we can talk about it. That'd be great. Uh, actually, I want to ask you uh, before we wrap up the podcast, because that's really exciting. When's the event coming up? The event is April 21st. April 21st. So if you're in Seattle, uh, you can register for that. I don't know the website. Is there a website? Yes. It's www.christincascadia.com. Okay. Um, we can link it below. Yep, we'll link it below. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be a great event to be able to have some really good food and connect with people, it sounds like, and yes. kind of practice hospitality. Yes, and during lunch there's going to be like an intentional guided conversation um, as to what it is you're experiencing as you eat, as you partake mm-hmm. 
um, and what, what that means, the practical and theoretical implications of joining together for a meal. Mm -hmm. And you're also going to hear from people that have been doing it very well in our okay. own city's culture. So it's a learning experience and it's also um, a real-time experience that you're going to kind of walk through some of these things as a community. Sounds great. Yeah. Also, if there are church, I'm going to do a shout out. If there are churches who want to welcome people from other cultures, we do have Spiffio. Theotech produces Spiffio, real-time language translation software. Yes. So you, basically people can show up, pick their language on their phone, and get translation mm -hmm. real-time of everything in your service. Um, and that's one of the ways that we're trying to help churches to be hospitable to people from other cultures mm -hmm. uh, at Theotech. That's and huge. Uh, what I want to close with, though, is can you tell us about the best dinner you've ever had? Hmm. Or maybe oh. one of the best. I know that's too hard to say the best. Yes, I love food. But I love the people that are, like, engaged in eating the food with me. Mm. So I think my experiences are really tied to, the like, people. the people that maybe are there. Maybe a very hospitable experience that you had. Something that yeah. made you, that moved you. Okay. Give me a second. We can, like, Let's cut pause. this out. Okay, we'll pause. Okay, I have it. Okay, so um, my mentor and his wife, the Morrows, Zawadi and Aaron Morrow, mm. um, they're very hospitable people, and they don't even really know it or realize it mm. or call it out. It's just something that they do. And um, when I was a junior in college, I needed a place to live for the summer, and so I like randomly emailed my professors like that I had just met mm. and asked if anybody would let me live with them or lease a room mm -hmm. or I can nanny, I can house clean, whatever. And Zawadi and his wife reached out and they said, yeah, sure. Like, wow. You can come live with us. And they didn't know me like from, you know, mm -hmm. the next person. And so um, I stayed with them for a summer, but every meal that I had with them, whether they had food in the fridge or not, was super intentional. Mm. So we would gather around the table and it wasn't like um, this derived thing that was like, okay, now it's dinner time. And now it's time to gather. But it was like this this gathering place. It was like the table was magnetic, you know? And so, like, at the end of the day, you're just like, oh, like, this is my resting place. Nice. Like, this table, this small table um, with, like, maybe not that much on it or maybe a feast on it mm -hmm. is, like, my resting place. So I guess that's not, like, a singular experience because we had dinner all the time. Yeah. But it was, like, this really cool... Long-term hospitality. Yeah, it was really... Uh, Long-term, yeah. yeah. So it's a great example. That's a really good example. Um, I'll share one story. Mine's a short-term one. Uh, my family, uh, we went on a cruise one time, and the, there were these two waiter, a waiter and a waitress, Bulan and Antonella, I remember their names, because they were the most hospitable people I've ever met, I think. Mm. Uh, and I know it's their job, but they, I just felt like they went above and beyond because they would just notice all these details and just come ready so like on the first oh. night i think my sister ordered hot cho like, uh, chocolate milk or something like that and then from then on every single day before we even came to our table there was chocolate milk waiting no way i'm not even kidding and uh and they and and they just had they always exuded like a genuine warmth and maybe again they're professionals but like you just felt like they were so happy to see you mm. every single time no matter whatever else happened throughout that day and it just like puzzled me as a kid like can people really be this, like, <laughs> nice all the time? Like, not only nice, not, like, polite. They're, like, ah, oh, like, you know, like, mm -hmm. you want to give them a hug almost. Um, and, and of course, the food was good and everything like that, but it was really that it wasn't even the service. It was, like, you felt like you had a connection to mm -hmm. them. And uh, afterwards, you know, you would share emails or whatever because you, like, you wanted to keep in touch. Like, mm -hmm. you wanted the relationship to continue. Sadly, wow. that hasn't really continued. 
Um, but I just remember, like, that was a, yeah, for me, that was like a bar that was says, like, I'm just really impressed uh, mm-hmm. with these people and uh, how they they could make my myself and my family feel so, like, really, like, welcome and wanted. wanted. Actually, that's what it was. It was wanted. Wow. Like, they want us to be there. Like, they're happy. Um, so that was mm-hmm. my hospital experience. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us today on the Theotech Podcast. Uh, If you'd like to hear more stories about how God is working in and through the tech industry and theology applied to life, you can subscribe to our channel here. And if you'd like to support us in sharing these stories, you can support us on Patreon here. All right. Until next time. Oh, wow. This is a bouncy. A bouncy couch. I know. I got it at Target. Really? Oh yeah, it's this going in my nice. apartment ASAP. Yeah. You made this place really cozy. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. It's like we should just do a 360. Like, <laughs> for example, <laughs> here is her office. Thank you. Okay. Um, is it is it already going? Oh, okay. Cool. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, so I know that one question we. Well, it kind of came up in discussion as my brother was preparing for this podcast was, um, you know, how how do females and or how do men and women see hospitality differently? Mm-hmm. Like, how is it, how are the expectations different? Mm. And kind of why is that? And how do we see that being in line with, you know, what the Bible says? Right. Man, um, I love that question because I don't actually know the answer. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love it because mm-hmm. it makes me curious. Um, But a few thoughts I have on it, Um, femaleness, like being a woman, there's something super natural about hospitality because as a woman, you are, you have the wonderful ability to bear children. Mm -hmm. And what you do when you bear a child is you make space for another human Mm -hmm. in your body. It just like like blows my mind completely. Um, And I think it's like a core part of who we are, not only what our bodies can do, but it's like this intu- intuition um, as a woman to create space for another. And I think um, men have a huge part in that too. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is very creative too. And there's like a huge call to creating space for others in a service-oriented way. Mm-hmm. So serving your neighbor, um, creating things for your neighbor, like you know, creating homes for your neighbors like things that are actually going to be the bearers of that space. But it's the same creative process, whether you're a man or a woman, mm-hmm. um, but like nuanced in different ways. And I think, unfortunately, historically, the burden has like fallen solely on women in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, if you're a woman, you cook the food and you serve it mm-hmm. and then you clean up afterwards. And it's like totally your responsibility culturally to mm-hmm. just do that. And um, I think a lot of times it depends on the balance that's already in the culture or that's not present in the culture. You have to, like, look at it and see, um, like, weigh, weigh your situation and, and see if there is, like, a level of balance present already. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times I think, like, that burden falls on the woman to be the hospitable one mm-hmm. because it's, like, a part of, like, who we are, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it's something that is done in community, like, can't be done yeah. alone. Actually, the interesting thing that you mentioned is, you know, the expectation is that the woman cooks and all of that. Um, but the other side of it is how does she even get the, you know, the meat, the vegetables right. to cook with? Mm-hmm. Like, historically, yes, it was it was the man that would bring it, and that would be his job. But one thing that was interesting is, um, you know, nowadays with the grocery store, 
anybody can go and buy and basically all they need is money mm. in order to be able to do this and um, to provide for others. But the, I don't know, it's just, how did that, that change from, you know, the expectation for a man now is they have to be the provider mm. in, in a different sense than what it was before. Mm-hmm. Before it was, you would provide by farming, hunting, whatever it was. Right. Now it's, you provide by giving us, or like generating the, the wealth mm. for us in order for the wife to go and buy food, make the food, serve the food, clean the food, all of that. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I don't have a, I don't have very deep knowledge, but, um, on this is just a thought that kind of came up in my head. Um, and one thing that we didn't talk about was communion Mm. as, and this is not necessarily related. One thing we didn't talk about was communion as kind of this table that everybody is invited to. Mm -hmm. And that, being kind of the picture of hospitality for mm. the church. Um, but I don't know. I don't have anything. I think that's them. actually super central to the gender piece. Mm. Like when Jesus invites you to the table, he doesn't invite you as a woman to the table. He invites you to the table. And when we're thinking about like, how can we be more like Christ? Um, it's not necessarily gender specific, especially in hospitality. Mm -hmm. So like, what if we're missing out on something really like insanely explosive? If a man takes that opportunity to cook, to clean, to present, to provide the meal Mm. and, um, the woman plays the alternate role, or what if we're missing out on the creativity of infusing those roles together? Mm. Um, because some people have different strengths and weaknesses and like as a woman, Personally, my strength um, is, like, entertaining. Like, I love to cook. I love to clean. I love to do all of that. But part of it might be because that's what I've been told that I can be good at, you mm-hmm. know? Like, what if we were able to tap into people's personalities and um, go from there mm-hmm. and be Christ to other people in terms of what you're passionate about mm-hmm. and, like, who you are and walk walk in that instead of, like, well you know, I'm a girl, so I should probably learn how to cook. And mm-hmm. if I don't learn how to cook, like, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, so right now my fiance is learning how to cook and we're, we're challenging those yeah. borders yeah. and like really trying to push that because, um, he loves it. He wants to be more creative too mm-hmm. and like learn how to create space for others in a new way. Mm-hmm. So it's a really complicated conversation, but I think it's yeah. so worth um, yeah. talking about. Yeah, and, you know, historically, it has been that the woman would be the one to take up that mantle of hospitality. Mm-hmm. But it's right. Like, you're right. You know, it's not just a woman's job, and it's not just a man's job. It's like anybody, actually. Isn't hospitality one of, like, the spiritual gifts? Yeah, yeah, it, it can be for anybody. Like, yeah. anybody can um, host that, mm-hmm. literally host the spiritual gift of hospitality. Yeah, yeah. But it is a skill yes. that has to be honed, mm-hmm. and it's going to take practice. Yep. I think that one of the big things about hospitality is getting over your own insecurity about mm. it, because that's the that's the thing for for me. Like you know, getting older, I'm like, oh, I should learn how to you know be a good host and mm. all of that. And it's like, oh, there's a lot of insecurity with this. Just like, oh, what if they don't like my food? What mm-hmm. if what if I you know do something wrong and they get offended mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but it is just a, it is a practice yeah. and it's something that you're going to get it wrong mm-hmm. and that's okay because part of hospitality is that it's not just you extending hospitality to, to them, but they're also, you know, 
coming into your space, they're also welcoming you into their lives. So it's like a two It's vulnerable street. on both sides. Yeah. And that's yeah. what's so beautiful about it, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Well, thank you for asking that question. Yeah. I think that's a really important question. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we got something good yeah. from that. <laughs> All right. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Natasha. Oh, cool. <laughs> that's what Tasha could have done. <clears throat>